Henry Handsome was a larger-than-life outlaw cowboy. At least that's how the legend goes. Henry Handsome Lived and Died examines the creation, evolution, proliferation, dissemination, and degradation of American folklore. Through 30 different short stories, the character, vague idea, false memory, misattributed anecdote, or influence of the titular Henry Handsome does everything from change the course of American media to sculpt modern-day knowledge of manifest destiny. Together, the collection represents the stories that create and define a culture, how those stories are told, and if they ever were to begin with, and if any of that matters at all. Each story was written, recorded, narrated, and produced by me, Elliot Matson. If you'd like to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmatson.com slash henryhandsome. But for now, saddle up and enjoy the story. Henry Handsome Lived and Died. Story number 22. Louise Fife saw Jesus Christ in her flapjack. When Big Henry's cookhouse opened in Cedra Woolly, Washington, it was the biggest thing to happen to the town since that circus elephant got loose and stomped around for a bit in 1922. To many, Tusco was still a local hero. But even a trained pachyderm couldn't hold a candle to Henry's silver tooth short stack with a side of bacon and your choice of toast. Though I suppose he could if you trained him to. In the summer of 2003, it was damn near impossible to get a table at the restaurant, and lines stretched from the Methodist church all the way to the Baptist church on some days, especially on Sundays. The waitstaff couldn't turn tables fast enough, and the cooks were too busy sweating their balls off to keep up with all the orders. Though marketed as a family-friendly eatery, some families wouldn't step inside the place for fear of getting sucked up by a cyclone of commotion, screaming children, bottomless cowboy coffee, place match you could draw on, and free mini cinnamon donuts. Other families simply couldn't resist, or say no to their spoiled rotten kids. Louise Fife didn't fit into either of those categories. See, even when Big Henry's is at capacity, and I mean elbow-to-elbow eaters cramming breakfast pastries into their gaping maws, one two-top in the corner by the novelty lumberjack cuckoo clock remained reserved. When Bill Fife opened the joint, he made a solemn promise to his mama she'd always have a seat and a hot meal to eat. Louise wasn't exactly the flapjacks and waffles kind of gal. On the shy side of 90 and skinny as a ladle, she had a more similar diet to a bird than to a larger-than-life woodsman. But she supported her son with all his endeavors, as the Lord did his own. So every morning at 7.45 a.m. sharp, Louise Fife would get dressed, do her hair in the same way since 1947, put on her white loafers, and shimmy over to Big Henry's cookhouse for the early bird senior discount. Bill said she ate free, but Louise insisted on paying. So we made up the special deal and charged her next to nothing for it. That Monday, or maybe it was a Tuesday, she ordered the same thing she always did. A single flapjack, black coffee, and a fruit cup. The order went in, and Jed Buck fired up the griddle. It always takes a while to get the heat right on those things, and the team in Big Henry's cookhouse kitchen weren't exactly Michelin-starred chefs. But what do I know? The nicest restaurant I ever ate and still had paper napkins. Point is, Jed wasn't trying to win any awards with his culinary prowess. The first flapjack of the day was always a wild card of quality, and he knew the old lady wasn't going to finish it anyway. He farted out the bisque quick on the greasy iron sheet and watched the disc bubble and solidify as he contemplated how he got to this North Cascades armpit anyway. Turns out a degree in forestry don't entitle you to a job, even if you are in the middle of the goddamn forest. 
He heard pay at the forestry service was shit, but couldn't have been any worse than Big Henry's. On top of that, he had to wear a flannel shirt stand in front of a 600-degree griddle making flapjacks for bumpkins. The kid was going nowhere faster than you could say short stack. He plated the meal with the least amount of flair he could, slid it on the shelf beside the order ticket, and slapped the silver bell. When the waitress took the plate, she strung up 17 more orders for Jed to get cracking on. Jed was so preoccupied with eggs, flapjacks, waffles, and bacon that he didn't hear the scream from the dining room. He didn't hear the silverware hit the floor and halt any other hullabaloo in the whole restaurant. After opening, Bill rarely left the front of the house to come back to the kitchen. So when he opened the swinging silver door, Jed assumed he'd fucked up something and was being fired. I was actually kind of relieved just thinking about it. Jed, said Bill in his sweaty, man-child voice. He had a terrified look about him. Sorry to bother you. My mother, you know, Louise, she asked to see the cook for some reason. Jed rolled a line of greasy Jimmy Deans back and forth with a half-melted spatula. Oh, uh, okay. Does she want me to make a new flapjack or something? You know how that first one of the day can get sometimes. Jed didn't like that he knew the nuances of cooking flapjacks, but here we were. Bill scratched his bald head. He wished he still had that long, voluptuous ponytail like Jed's. I really don't know. She's inconsolable. If you don't mind, would you come out? Bill led him onto the floor as the crowd kept gathering around Louise's small table. Jed removed his apron, but Batter still splattered his flannel like he'd slaughtered a battalion of Pillsbury Doughboys. When Louise saw him, she grabbed his wrist and pulled him close. She pushed her horn-rimmed spectacles up her nose and examined him until he felt profoundly uncomfortable. Families watched in surprise and munched handfuls of mini donuts like they were popcorn. You, you made this flapjack, son? She pointed to the cooled, rubbery yellow disc on her plate. She hadn't touched it, let alone the coffee or the fruit cup. I did. Jed scratched his head and shrugged his shoulders at Bill. Is there something wrong, Mrs. Fife? I'd be happy to make you another one. Jed reached for the plate. No, leave it. Please, young man, you have created a miracle. Her shining teeth looked like they were coated in Vaseline and smudges of lipstick rode the curves of her gum line. Praise be, she said with tears in her eyes. Praise be. The lady said it was Jesus Christ himself, but all Jed saw was a burn mark. They used an iron brand to stamp the Big Henry logo on each flapjack, and Jed wasn't exactly as precise as Rembrandt with it. He also never questioned why the mascot of a lumberjack-themed restaurant was a cowboy, and he didn't intend to. Best not to go digging for meaning and everything. He viewed his time in Cedric Woolley as a temporary bump in the road, and the less information he retained, the better. He left Louise at her table, smile as bright as a diamond. The rest of the day, when he'd look out to the floor, she hadn't moved still admiring that little miracle on her plate. That evening, Jed cracked a beer and made himself a ham sandwich in his dingy apartment kitchen. He squirted the mustard in the shape of a cross. The yellow shined like gold under the dusty pendant light. Praise be, he whispered, and bowed to the sandwich with his hands together in prayer. He shook his head and laughed to himself with a mouthful. When Jed got to work the next day, Bill had already moved the velvet ropes out front. Hordes of folks stood waiting to get inside. 
Jed politely pushed past him to the front door as some pointed muttered to each other. Over by the kitty mechanical log ride, Bill spotted Jed and rushed to meet him. Jed, Jed, gosh, I'm so glad you're here. We've been slammed since before opening. Jed looked around the restaurant at Horge of Cedra Williams, but none of them were eating anything. Did I forget it was Memorial Day weekend or something? I mean, it's been busy, but I've never seen the place so packed. Bill shook his head and his cheeks wiggled like jello. Well, it's July, but in any case, you'd better see this for yourself. He took Jed's arm and led him to the dining room. The two tops and four tops had been cleared to the corners. The crowd allowed Bill and Jed to pass until they reached Louise in prayer position on the floor. She bowed in front of the brick mantel where folks had hung flowers, scattered salt, left letters and lit candles around the Jesus Flapjack centerpiece. Jed cautiously crept around the quilted tapestry unfurled on the wood floor to get a better look at some of the intricate wreath displays and saintly veladoras. When Louise saw him, she gasped, Young man, young man, I can't thank you enough for what you have done. I knew my son started this business for a reason. And he said you moved here from Seattle to our little town from the big city. This is divinity at work. Jed felt so many eyes pushing and prodding him. That's him, whispered a man crouched next to a boy who looked like he was meeting a mall Santa for the first time. Jed never seen Louise or anybody in town so animated. He stepped forward and got a closer look at his supposed masterpiece. It still looked like a burnt pancake to him. The hours of exposure to the elements gave it a mucous membrane that seemed to be both holding its cells together and ripping them apart. Bill tugged on Jed's standard-issue flannel, the same one he wore yesterday and every day because he just couldn't find it in his heart to give a shit. Jed, I hate to ask, but... Jed looked at his boss quizzically. The man was taking an unusual, reverent tone with him. Yeah? What is it, Bill? Well... People have been wanting their own flapjacks all morning, and I just can't get it right. They all look like brown blobs. Plus, I've already been charging admission. Admission? (laughs) Jed chuckled and pulled his boss in the corner by the old wooden snowshoes. You're charging these people admission for a pancake? I tried not to. I didn't want people to come inside once I'd seen what my mother had done. She must have gotten in early somehow. But then they started throwing money at me and I thought I'd be trampled if I didn't let them in. Bill rubbed a shiny cue ball head. Please, Jed, you just have to do what you do every day. Make flapjacks. Look, I'm sure it'll all blow over by tomorrow. Folks around here aren't used to this kind of excitement is all. You ever heard of Tusco the Elephant? Jed hadn't and didn't want to. He weighed the request like a ladle full of batter. He figured the last time somebody valued his work was when his mama put his macaroni art on the fridge. And everyone did look mighty happy. He reluctantly agreed, and Bill gave him a big, flabby-armed hug. Jed tightened his apron and squirted twenty yellow medallions on the griddle. As the edges crisped to a golden brown, he flipped them, expertly to his dismay, and branded each of them with the big Henry Cowboy design. At first, he tried to be discerning with it holding the stamp straight and applying even pressure on the corners, but he gave up after about the fifth one. Bill was grabbing plates faster than Jed could ring the bell. 
Crumpled cash spilled from Bill's pockets as he delivered flapjack orders around the restaurant. It was pandemonium. It's just today, thought Jed. It'll all blow over. People will eat their Jesus flapjacks and leave. Then, one by one, shouts of joy started peeling the varnish off the tables. Margaret Connolly said her flapjack had been touched by St. Peter himself, branded by an upside-down cross. Flynn Boylan held his flapjack triumphantly as folks squinted to see an amoebic burn he swore was a dove. Yvette Landry took a bite before her husband yanked the flapjack away and presented the spitting image of the Tree of Meaning. The shrine grew with plates upon plates of cakes. When Jed ran out of Bisquick, customers were still begging for more. A few were convulsing on the ground and speaking in tongues. Praise be, he kept hearing Louise yell. Praise be. Bill said he could leave for the day and suggested going out through the back. But Jed would have been lying if he said the commotion hadn't piqued his curiosity a touch. He peered around the kitchen door at a broil and revelry. Now, the cynic in him was thinking Rick Wilson had eaten Big Henry's probably a thousand times, and now he sees a goddamn angel on his breakfast. But the believer in him, long dormant since a few forgotten Sunday school clashes and Episcopalian Christmas Eve church services, wondered if maybe these people did indeed see something. And maybe Jed Buck had a hand in creating it. Jed lay on his back that night staring blankly at the ceiling. Some previous tenant had stuck plastic stars up there that didn't glow in the dark anymore. A few were just tacky residue and a stain. I reckon the three wise men followed stars that looked pretty similar to Bethlehem, and they knew as much about constellations as Jed did about religion. He rubbed his forehead and his hands still smelled like batter. The flapjack he secretly took for himself sat on a paper plate at his bedside. He didn't have a nightstand and his bed was a futon. He turned on his phone light and scanned it across the inedible puck. He rotated it, stared at it sidelong, picked it up and gave it a loose wiggle. Nothing. He thought maybe it looked like some kind of holy pineapple, but even Jed was pretty certain that wasn't an actual Christian symbol. The prospect of believing in something, though, that was oddly enticing. He just couldn't believe in a flapjack, could he? He considered calling in sick the next morning. After all, how many more times could he shape the word of God into breakfast? He figured all the greats quit while they were ahead anyway, and he had done his fair share of quitting in life. Thing is, he didn't have to call in sick. The clientele of Big Henry's cookhouse had already come to him. When Jed opened his bedroom blinds, his yawn yanked a cold shriek from his lungs. The restaurant shrine had moved to the front lawn of the Cedar Arms apartments. Jed stood enough away from the window so they couldn't see him. But not far enough he couldn't see the plates of flapjacks, bouquets of flowers, handmade signs with Bible verses written on them, and giant cutout photos of his own face. He has returned, was scrawled on more than one piece of cardboard mounted to a pool cue. Jed had never seen so many versions of himself staring right at him. Yesterday, he thought folks were simply enamored with the symbols he'd served them on a plate. Yet overnight, he'd become their symbol. I reckon there ain't no better way to say it than it freaked the fuck out of him. He didn't think most people in Cedra Woolley owned a computer, much less knew how to surf the internet. But they'd scoured social media and re-scoped to Jed in their image. 
He saw a table of framed photos from his family's trip to the Tetons in eighth grade. A number of people wearing Seahawks jerseys even though he hadn't followed the team in years. Some were singing karaoke to the Songs of Jed based on an embarrassing lo-fi album he'd recorded as a teenager. Jed's heart raced as he beheld his flock. He quickly shut the blinds and watched the shadows from the outside move and congeal like burn marks on a flapjack. He closed his eyes when he couldn't stand to look anymore. It'll blow over, he thought. It'll all blow over and everything will be back to normal. Jed didn't leave the apartment for three days. A local news van parked out front and blockaded the street. The commune of devout worshippers had sprawled into a shanty town, complete with a flapjack trading post, general store, face painting, and first aid stations. Some brought their own camping griddles and Costco jugs of Bisquick to charge anyone who wanted to try their hand at cooking up a miracle. Some called those folks blasphemers. Protesters called the whole charade a cruel and irresponsible threat to the hypostasis of Christianity. Bill Fife gave out dozens of buy-one-get-one-free meal coupons that would clog storm drains for months. Jed flipped on the news and the broadcast delay caused an echo in the interviews he heard faintly out his window. Fire Chief Wendell Gilson read from one of Jed's old online journal entries to a dumbfounded reporter. Jed looked in the background of his grainy television at the distorted versions of his face. Myriad acoustic renderings, sculpted busts, frescoes, and photographs. Some were remarkable. Could have been in a goddamn museum. He didn't recognize any of the faces staring back as he touched his own. People had been inspired to create based on what he had given them. When was the last time he'd been inspired to do anything? He turned off the TV and looked at his ghostly reflection in the black screen. If these people saw something in him, then maybe he could, too. On the morning of the fifth day, Jed rummaged through his cabinets. He tossed out empty bottles and boxes until he found some old Bisquick. He fired up his dirty stove and poured some in a pan just like he did every day. As the cacophony blared outside, he cooked flapjack after flapjack after flapjack. He didn't have the Big Henry brand at home, so he heated a metal cup over the flame and stamped each one. Then he sat at his coffee table next to a tower and stack and examined his work. He saw a lot of blotches, a few blobs, one that maybe looked like a turtle. Did Jesus meet a turtle at some point in the Bible? But no epiphanies, no miracles, no meaning. People laughed and celebrated and rejoiced outside for him, because of him. He held his head in his hands and blurred his vision like he was looking at one of those pixelated pages where all of a sudden you see a castle or a boat. Why couldn't he see it? They were looking at the same goddamn flapjacks, the same ones he made for them. A tear dripped onto one of Jed's symbols and bled into another shape that looked like nothing to him. He pounded the table and the flapjacks wobbled in place. What did they see? He wondered as he stared bleary-eyed into the cake. He sat there for a whole day straight, blind to his own divinity. Until it occurred to him, maybe he should just ask them what they saw. Simple as that. If they told him, then maybe he could see it too. He rose shakily, put on a bathrobe over his boxers, grabbed the plate and headed to the balcony. The low afternoon sun cast a heavenly glow across the front lawn. Most of the grass and flowers had been trampled to make way for 
tents, music stages, facilities, and wayfinding signage. An information kiosk held brochures and maps to attractions. When Jed stepped outside, the whole crowd hushed like he was a goddamn pope at the Vatican. They stared at him with hushed reverence. An anchor woman stopped interviewing a man reading scripture from an apple box. A clammy butterball stood frozen, wearing a sandwich board with a drone of Jed and a headline that read, Our Latter-day Prophet. Jed blinked his bloodshot eyes, waved reluctantly, and said hello to his disciples. Folks beamed brighter in a new griddle. A woman fainted at the sight of her own savior in the flesh. A man in a Sean Kemp Seattle Supersonics jersey, Jed's favorite player when he was a boy, shot a finger skyward to Jed's full plate. Messages, he shouted. Messages from the prophet. The crowd cheered. Jed held a humble hand aloft and they silenced. He never commanded a room before. Never commanded anything, come to think of it. He tossed the man a flapjack from the top of his stack. Uh, hi. His tired words echoed across the lawn. Yeah, I made some more. I hope you can see what you're looking for. So, I mean, whoever wants one, I guess, here you go. The first man raised his flapjack high, the sun contrasting the burn mark from the outer ring, showing trap bubbles and intricate crackliture prettier in a stained glass window. Jed held his breath as the man deciphered the offering's meaning. Jed prayed there was one. Eventually, he said, It's... Yes! It's a Maltese cross! The prophet shall protect us all! People cheered. Jed's jaw dropped. So there was an image. He knew it. He knew it was something the whole time. He couldn't quite tell what he was feeling since it was so foreign. Like his heart was being hoisted a bit higher in his chest, and his lungs a bit more inflated without sucking in more air. Until he realized it was pride. Jed Buck was proud of himself. People damn near trampled one another to stand below the second floor balconies. The prophet tossed more cold pancakes from on high. It's a wheat stalk, said a woman in the same sundress Jed's mother used to wear on summer vacations. For Joseph... Our son's name is Joseph. Eddie, Eddie, where are you? Do you see this? Eddie came running and embraced his wife. A pimply teen boy looked at his flapjack and removed his hat. He had the prescient gaze of a soothsayer, the clear blue eyes of a disciple. A winged bull, the symbol of Luke. People around him scrunched their eyebrows and leaned in. My name is Luke, he cried. There was more rejoicing, as you can imagine. Mine is a martyr's palm, shouted a frail old lady in a scarf near the confectionery stand. People grabbed for the pancake to get a closer look. It means triumph and eternal life. The prophet Jed says I will beat cancer. Frankincense, yelled another fella. See, the crystalline structure is undeniable. Jed wants me to be a gift unto the world and extol his virtues. Jed listened in awe from the balcony as more and more people shouted the translations of his own messages. There were too many that were too pure and too specific to be anything but holy. That wasn't a coincidence, he thought. And this wasn't blowing over, and he didn't want it to. He thanked the people and retreated inside. Exhausted, he sank to the floor and smiled. He could still hear the devotees celebrating, and it brought joy to the soul he wasn't sure existed a few days back. 
He realized it didn't matter if he could decipher the flapjack symbols. He didn't need to see shit if they could see him. And he'd never felt more seen. As he lay on his futon that night, those stars glowed brighter than ever. They weren't stuck to his eight-foot popcorn ceiling no more. Instead, hanging a million miles above him. The next morning, Jed awoke with a profuse sense of serenity. He went to the kitchen and rolled up his sleeves. Then he realized he'd cooked through all his bisquick. He leaned over the empty plate he'd stacked the flapjacks on yesterday, still beaded in the remnants of sticky condensation. He gently placed his fingers on the plate and traced the faint circle. He felt compelled to make more, but not by Christ. No, that skinny son of a bitch clearly didn't eat carbs. He was hearing his own voice in his head, and it told him to go to his people. The Jedi village surely had a plentiful supply, so he decided to descend his bastion and join them, to be among them and feel what they felt. When he walked out on the front lawn, they were all waiting to serve, at attention. Every one of them barefoot, dressed in boxers and bathrobes. Jed couldn't have been more pleased, more welcome. As he made his way through the crowd, they parted for him, dropping to their knees one after another. Prophet Jed, said one, please tell me if my wife will ever love me again. Prophet Jed, said another, would it be in your grace to guide me as to whether my dog will live or die? Jed smiled benevolently and bowed to each of them. He raised a hand and asked if anyone had batter. A man by a camping griddle vigorously snapped at his young son to run and grab their supply. Prophet Jed, over here, please, use ours. It would be our honor to serve you. Jed walked over as the man lit the griddle. His son handed the prophet the open bucket of bisquick and a ladle. Jed stirred it like a cauldron, inhaling the sweet, sugary serum. His face reflected in the yellow liquid, staring back, swirling, dissipating, and reforming. And everything made sense. Like Jesus or Moses or Joseph Smith, he was going to lead his people on a journey. Where that was exactly, only time would tell. Or maybe, hopefully, someone would tell him. He lifted the ladle and drips of batter hit the griddle and sizzled as a pious crowd held their breath. When he finished the first flapjack, he flipped it over on the plate and gazed at the beautiful burn mark. He traced it with his fingers. It still didn't look like anything. But would all these people be gathered here if it didn't? Maybe he couldn't believe in a flapjack, but they could believe in him. Jed held it like a halo above his head and People waited for his word, for God's word. He took a deep, resounding breath and said, Praise be. At first he repeated it cautiously, and then with thunderous authority, Praise be. The church of Jed stayed on the grounds of the Cedar Arms apartments for months until the landlord was finally able to remove them for squatting. By that point, it didn't matter. For a time, the majority of Cedra Willie's citizens were Jed's followers, until one fella had a flapjack that looked like Jerusalem. Don't ask me how. They took it to mean Jed was to lead them to a new Zion. They left one September evening and never returned. The town stood vacant as a shell for quite a while, like folks had been raptured. The hardware store was empty until Al Carlson's wife sold the place. Lawns succumbed to weeds because Percy Brink wasn't around to mow them. 
That adorable little gift shop on Woodworth stopped carrying Diane Norton's candles because she stopped making them. They had all followed the prophet and left the town in shambles like a runaway elephant. Some folks have since left the church claiming illicit behavior and brainwashing. There's probably a documentary about it you know I ain't seen. But most of them are still happy living on that sprawling estate in, let's see, Nevada somewhere. At one point in the mid-2000s, Jed had a sponsorship deal with Bisquick and even still has his own line of bakeware. Of course, he never worked the line at Big Henry's Cookhouse again. Bill Fife eventually found a replacement, though not as lucrative an employee. He tried to get some things off the ground, stage some of his own miracles, but waffles and hash browns, I suppose, aren't as susceptible to divine intervention as flapjacks. Maybe he was trying too hard. Maybe he needed a better story. Hell, maybe it ain't about story at all, but about who's listening. Thanks for listening to Henry Hansom Lived and Died. If you'd like to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmanson.com slash henryhansom.com.